Hi, welcome back to Video Drone Podcast with Fraser and Craig. And as the summer turns into autumn, we're going to have a look at a bit more, a few darker films, I think. Indeed. And this week we're going to have a look at... They Live, The Plague Dogs, and also The Sword and the Sorcerer. Not too dark, then. Okay, so first one up today is John Carpenter's They Live from mm-hmm. 1988. Um, I've got fond memories of it watching it first time round. Had issues, you had issues with it then, still got issues with it now, but <laughs> still a pretty good film. But uh, yeah. it's obviously starring um, the re- unfortunately recently passed away uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, Craig Taz gives a sort of brief synopsis of the plot. Well, um, Piper plays a drifter who accidentally uncovers an alien alien conspiracy. Yeah. Um, and joins the underground resistance in order to overthrow the creatures. Yeah, because they're taking over the world, aren't they? Pretty much, yeah. Um, apparently it was based on a short story called 8 O'Clock in the Morning, which I didn't actually know until recently. I right. guess I'm, I kind of missed that yeah, growing up. You kind of missed stuff it. like that on credits, yeah, don't you? Yeah, yeah well, it's, it's been a long time since I watched it. I think probably about 10 years or so since I, yeah. since I last watched it, yeah. Uh, but I thoroughly enjoyed watching it again. Um, really good. But then again, I am I am a big fan of Carpenter. I do do really enjoy his films. Yeah, I, I must admit, I prefer his earlier films rather than yeah stuff after this. Pretty mm. much went downhill really I think for me. It's probably the last great Carpenter film. No, you could argue that, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like In the Mouth of Madness, but it's it's an acquired taste. Mm. But this for me, this is the last like classic. Yeah, film, the out now classic film. That you made. A bit of a kind of Marmite one that I think. Yeah, yeah. Again, anyway, back to the yeah, exactly. Back to the live. <laughs> it stands the test of time for me. Right. And I think I've seen it. For, I've just seen it for the first time in HD, and I really, really thought it looked great. Um, mm-hmm. And saw a new print. But I love the way the plot unfolds in this film. I mean, you, we were talking about this earlier, and there's a few plot holes and things. Yeah. But, <laughs> just a few, but. Uh, but it's just the way that things unfold with the conspiracy and the way he, the way he discovers everything. Bit by bit, yeah. It's quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, the pacing's really good. I love the way it takes lots of time with lots of lots of the scenes. Like when he, for example, the way he discovers the the aliens are kind of among us, if you like, uh-huh. is by a pair of sunglasses created by an underground and resistance. It's just, all just, the perception. The film sort of slows down there just it to really let him does. soak in what's going on. It's it clever. Really that's a really clever scene, the way they do it. Exactly, um, yeah. Because when he puts the sunglasses on, everything goes black and white. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And the first thing that he notices is different is that uh, like a lot of signs billboards, around town, yeah. billboards, reveal a hidden message when the sunglasses are on. Because uh-huh. res- the resistance have, have um, made these perception altering sunglasses to to show people the truth. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see a sort of uh, sign for like a sort of um, woman in a bikini on like a very Caribbean holiday break being, instead of being an advert for the holiday, it's marry and reproduce. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, obey and uh, consume. consume. Yeah. And all these uh-huh. sort of, all these kind of um, slogans that, that encourage people to buy, spend the money and go about and be a good drone uh-huh. and yeah, stay yeah. asleep. Uh-huh, as they yeah. call it, which has been under the aliens' control. Uh-huh, there's even like a, a little speaker going around saying "sleep, sleep" or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, stay, stay, stay asleep. asleep. Yeah. Um, um, 
but it, but as as we were saying though, it takes a lot of time showing you this, and you see you see as uh, as um, Piper's character is going around looking at everything, it's it's content to show you it unfold before your eyes, and you're mm-hmm. seeing what he's seen. Then he sees the first person that is actually one of them, yeah. which are kind of skeletal, sort of beings with a lot of like sort of fleshy bits. Yeah, on the face. It's, it's good makeup. It is. It is really good. It, well, it's quite an iconic yeah. look. Yeah. Um, for the for the aliens and it leading to that uh, great line where he basically says uh, to the old woman who's one of them something like you look like you you drop, you drop your face in a cheese grater yeah, so like, yeah so <laughs> that's like you you look okay you real fucking ugly <laughs> class um, um, but no I mean like yeah Roddy Piper sort of um, he is what he is he cannot really shake his is wrestling roots, I, I suppose, because exactly. everything he does is kind of like, to a degree, sort of exaggerated, especially oh, when it yeah. comes to action scenes and stuff. And yeah, definitely. Obviously, the, the big thing with this film, uh, there's a sort of five minute fight between um, Roddy Piper and <laughs> that Keith is David. An iconic moment. I mean, Keith David's a big guy as well, so yeah, they're sort of like well matched, you know, it's not. Keith David, who was also in The Thing, we should yeah. mention. Yeah, oh, yeah. And he was the voice of uh, Spawn in the animated series. And was he now? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know yeah. that. It was but, um, HBO show at the time. He's like a sort of super pair of hands in, in, in a film like this. Yeah, he is, yeah. But um, Roddy Piper, he's quite, looks like he's just having a ball making the film, really. Definitely, After, Was yeah. this his first film? I don't know. Um, I know he was in uh, that uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown, which is a terrible That's film. Even by, yeah. even by B-movie stands. Don't don't check that out, do yourself a favour. <laughs> oh, I, I was going to, actually, <laughs> on the back of this. But, but yeah, it's... Um, He's he's having a lot of fun with it, clearly, and he he plays a sort of good badass in it. Uh, he's got loads of like quips. In fact, um, be- between him and Bruce Campbell, uh, Duke Nukem stole pretty much all of Bruce Campbell's lines from Army of Darkness and loads and loads of uh, Piper's lines from this. Right, okay. In, <laughs> for, for the sort of uh, for all the quips. Um, but that going back to that fight scene, we should talk about that a bit more. Mm-hmm. That is hilarious. It's proper like wrestling <laughs> stuff in that, isn't it? Because just to give you a bit of background, the both uh, Keith David's character Frank. And uh, Piper's character work on a construction site. Yeah. And that's how they know each other. Uh, they're both kind of down on the look. And um, he really needs to hold on to this job. Mm-hmm. Now, after it's been revealed that the kind of aliens are among us, like Piper goes out and gets a shotgun. And shoots and a few blo- of them, blows yeah. quite a few of them away. But to the to the normal people, it looks like he's just been a mass murderer. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah, they don't have the special glasses that lets you see what they really are. So Keith David's character doesn't want anything to, to do with, with him. him. Yeah, yeah. So the, there's this really lengthy fight scene between them because he wants them to wear the glasses. Just so so can, as soon as you put them on, you're going to see. You're going to see what yeah. I can see. And obviously he thinks he's a nut. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, so they have like a, like about a six minute fight where he's trying to get him to convince the glasses. And just when you think... It's over. <laughs> Another one. It, it just continues it with just, him. One person gets the upper hand, yeah. and the other person gets the upper hand. And before you know it, it just goes on and on. It's hilarious. It doesn't stop. doesn't stop. And <laughs> Until finally, he's gotten him beaten down to a point where he just forces the glasses, glasses on, on his face. Look. Yeah. <laughs> and then the film sort of really goes into sort of runny, jumpy mode after that a bit. Yeah. yeah. It's, it goes into sort of uh, high gear with a lot of action. And them trying to sort of, uh, they basically join this underground resistance, um, and and sort of fight back. But there's, despite it being quite comedic, it does have some quite unsettling scenes. Like the the scene when um, you first see what he sees, um, you sort of see them speaking at these wrist communicators, going, "I've got one." It's quite see. sinister, isn't it? And yeah. they're all walking towards them and talking into the wrists. Yeah, yeah and they've got all these aliens. Yeah. 
But I mean, there's, there's other bits in it that stand out to me, like the police brutality in it. Yeah. When the beat after they've sort of the, the police know that there's something. Oh, they sort of the authorities, the aliens basically know there's something going on at this church that the right. resistance are using to produce these sunglasses. And because before he knows anything about it, yeah. he's wondering what the hell's up with this church and is sort of looking. He's using a pair of binoculars at one point to look. Yeah, at what's but going the, on, the, yeah. that was weird. That a kid happens to be sitting there with a pair of binoculars <laughs> for no apparent reason. Them. Give us a land of them. Aye, <laughs> rubbish. There's uh, a few dodgy potholes. There's added, a few like, but like, it's a really fun film. Yeah, yeah. You've um, got to sort of look over. Sort of look past them, but yeah, I mean, when they um, they actually sort of raise the whole shanty town sort of thing to mm-hmm. yeah, to that the is ground, disturbing because it's kind of reminiscent of things that were happening, you know, back. You then, know what made they? me smile even more? What's that? Is what they hide in the houses next door that are empty. It's like why live in yeah. the shanty town when there's empty houses next door? Why don't you just squat? <laughs> um, very odd. But no, no, sorry. But yeah, yeah. That, and then see, after there's... that, there's a blind creature and he's just getting set upon by the police. Yeah, just beaten with their yeah, nightsticks yeah, and stuff yeah. and it is harsh but it, it's, it's that, like a huge is that before the sort of Rodney King sort of beating thing probably is actually just 98 I'm trying to think I can't mm, I'm sure that was early Rodney 90s was. but yeah. it's it, you, you can't really view it as an out and out sort of political film but it definitely has some satire in it oh, like a lot got, of satire yeah. about media about like the media about uh, consumer culture mm-hmm um, and you know it's it's kind of got little it's like this little is, pepperings of the stuff that Romero really took on board with Dawn, Dawn of the, the Dead. Dead definitely definitely and um, there's a bit at the start like everybody wants to be a TV star which is now yeah X yes, Factor and whatnot. You exactly know, it seems more relevant today it's a bit a bit ahead of its time maybe maybe it's in the States that might have been a bit more prevalent but certainly now there's also 20 years later sort a of scene thing. where a drone is like um, a kind of robotic drone thing that is is following him around. Surveillance cameras. Yeah, yeah with, with video on it, a video drone. <laughs> yeah, a video, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a video drone flying about. Um, but yeah, it's that's that's quite interesting because obviously we have those now. Yeah. You know, they're not operated and, by aliens, but they exist. You've all forgotten about them, but they're all there. Exactly. Yeah. Um. Um. We we also were discussing um. It's one of those films where you reuse props because there's a, <laughs> there's a scene from, from other movies. There's a scene with security officers and soldiers towards the end. Uh, there's a scene where John and Frank sort of storm the alien sort of base, it, if you like, well, which is a cable the, TV station. Which is putting the signal out, which puts puts everybody to sleep, Exactly, basically. yeah. And they're using these scanner devices to find them. And the scanners are actually the PKE meter from Ghostbusters that yeah. Egon's using in the library scene. Uh, and it's, it's it's another one of those cases of them repurposing props because they've been a bit cheap. And but like, it's just so obvious. I mean, Ghostbusters is such a popular. Exactly. Film. Why did they choose that? Prop? I, know, I know. I mean, maybe Ghostbusters hadn't quite reached the iconic level it is now. I don't know. It was a hit. That was but, a massive hit then. But yeah. maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe they didn't think people would recognise it. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I don't think they've even changed the prop. It just looks pretty just much the same. On, yeah, it's using <laughs> a couple of scenes, but um... there's a bit of an in joke as well. Um, where oh, uh, at the end. Yeah, the, the violence when yeah. they're watching the telly. Somebody's talking about violence. One of the creatures like, on TV yeah, is like saying all these George Romero and John Carpenter films are just far too violent. They went yeah. too far. Yeah, <laughs> and um, it's uh, it's it's <laughs> funnily enough, it's not that uh, violent of a film. There's a few shotgun hits, but there's not really any yeah. blood flying anywhere. A lot of so. it's in black and white because he's yeah, wearing exactly because he's wearing the glass and he's yeah. seen him shooting people down. It's in it's in black and white. But um, it's a funny one this because Carpenter didn't take credit as screenwriter. He did use a pseudonym for it because. He'd pulled the ideas from that book that you mentioned before, mm-hmm. and also a few other different sources. So, but that was credited, though, wasn't it? So, the book is, yeah, yeah. But when it comes to the screenplay by, it's just a made-up name, which is mm. actually has something to do with um, 
uh, Lovecraft. Oh, right, that's uh, interesting. Which I read. I'm not entirely sure about that, but he used a pseudonym because he couldn't really sort of say it was me. Right. He'd, he'd, he'd sort of basically borrowed, magpied all the ideas mm-hmm. for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was, I've got big lists here of, of all the things. It was <laughs> sort of like, hang on, there's a jump and there's a plot hole, and how do you get to there? But one thing I should, and I did read, and I didn't sort of, well, I'm sort of aware of it, is a sort of graffiti artist or whatever he's called, Shepherd Fairy. Mm-hmm. You'll have seen the Obey T-shirts. Oh yes, sir. He's sort of, sort of like, tipped the nod to this film, sort of giving him the idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that sort of like idea of the, of the, of the graphics and stuff, so he's made a yeah. kind of living off that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even the titles of the film pops up as graffiti. Yeah, that's quite quite well done. That that's right. Dear I, Liv. Um, and the uh, I wonder if David Icke actually took his whole belief system from this film because the whole like pretty... lizard thing. Yeah, <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> it is, yeah, it is that because he pretty much believes there's like aliens that yeah. uh, are sort of. Sending foot, out subliminal messages to yeah, people. The seven he? foot tall lizards. Yeah, basically that. that, that yeah, <laughs> they're not, they're not skeletal stars. kind of uh, skeletal people. The lizard men instead, but pretty yeah. much other than that, he's he's. <laughs> it kind of resembles this movie. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's not sort of although it's an eighties movie, um, it's not sort of really sort of hardwired into the eighties with with the fashions and things like that because. Mm. I mean, um, Roddy Pipes just got his plaid t-shirt, uh, plaid shirt, and jeans on. Yeah. Although Meg Foster's just a sort of weird casting decision. She is, yeah, isn't she? Yeah. Uh, she doesn't fit with her. The way the she pops ways. up in the plot, she disappears for half the film. Reappears. And then reappears with no explanation how she turned up. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I don't watch the film. You'll see what I mean. And I remember at the time, I thought, "Well, where the hell did she come from?" Mm. And I was quite young then, but I was like, you know, oh, that daft. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a couple of um, plot holes in there. But other than that, it's a it's a solid yeah. solid little action. Sure, film. I should mention that uh, Meg Foster uh, played Evil Lynn in Masters of the Universe. The uh, the live action. One I've never seen London. that. I think we should review it. <laughs> it's quite it's quite entertaining, actually. Yeah, <laughs> pervert. <laughs> Right, should we wind this one up then? Or? Um, yeah, I'll, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed watching this again. It's it's really um, solidly entertaining film from uh-huh. beginning to end. Love uh, all the Piper's quips in it. Aye. There's just so many great lines from mm-hmm. Uh Like I say, which have been plagiarised rather a lot over the years. Yeah. Um, and it's just a fun film from beginning to end. I should mention Carpenter does the movie again, a bit more bluesy in this one. And it goes all yes. synth at the end. Indeed, yeah. It's it's an odd score actually because it kind of repeats a lot of the same notes again and again, it much does, more so like, than his other ones. It goes very. But it's it, sort of like it sounds like guitars at the start, but by mm-hmm. the end it's gone a bit synthy. Yeah, so. exactly. I mean, it's it's important to note they're constantly altering it, but it's the the same bars replayed in yeah. different ways. That's almost like his theme, isn't it? Like yeah. The, the character John Nada, although he's never called that in the film. Yeah, it's funny because he's credited as John Nada, but like I I don't recall him ever like using the full name. No. In the film, I don't Even think he's ever. No, to is that? Yeah, I was going to say even when like you see him, he's getting the sort of uh, unemployment office trying to get a job. They mm-hmm. don't call him by name, do they? they exactly. Just, he just yeah. sits there. Um, odd that, but that's just the way it is. He, he just represents that every man. Exactly. Yeah. Just yeah. trying to make his living and scrape by in the world, and despite being like um, a sort of like a tough character, he's not a cynical character. You know, he says he believes in America and good things will happen to him eventually if he just yeah. tows the line, and does his work, and kind of. Catches a break. Here's a bit that I did. I, I, I went, Hang on a minute. So when they when they he gets in with the sort of um, the resistance, they explain that um, all right. If you if you sort of fall in with the aliens and, and you sort of 
you'll get a promotion, you'll get a bit more money and Being stuff like, like this. Agent, so so one of the bums at the start, mm-hmm. who's played by a regular in John Carpenter films, uh, George Buckflower, mm-hmm. he goes from being a bum to a sort of like, by the end of the film, he's sort of like leading light in the city sort of yeah. money man. Exactly. Like, well, that's not what the way it was like sort of sold. And then within about 24 hours, he knows everything about all the aliens. He does, and he's got like mates within the Yeah, ranks. and it's just like... <laughs> mm, more plot holes and jumps and whatnot, but never mind, never mind. It's a good entertaining film. It is, and uh, really iconic. Everybody um, at Video Drone loves it. Exactly, <laughs> all two of us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Highest recommendation. So if you haven't ever seen The Live, you should check it out. Cool. Okay, so that was The Live, and we're going to move on to where uh, Martin Rosen's Plague Dogs, which was, I suppose, a sort of follow up the Watership Down which yeah. had been a success a couple of years earlier mm-hmm. um, I suppose a lot of people are familiar with Watership Down the, mm-hmm. the bunnies go on the rampage and whatnot. <laughs> but again it's not like but yeah, it's pretty, I mean, everybody remembers uh, Watership Down it's yeah, pretty, we pretty do, graphic yeah. for what it was exactly. so uh, you've got the same director in Martin Rosen that's right um, same source of the source of the material which is Richard Adams who wrote the novel yeah again mm-hmm. sort of it's all about animals Um it's a tough film, but you're going to give us a quick synopsis. I will, yes. Yeah. Um, Snitter and Ralph, two dogs escape from an animal testing lab and struggle to survive in the wilds of the Lake District. That's basically it in a nutshell, yeah. Yeah. Um, from the start, this film is will probably be quite difficult for some animal lovers to watch, despite being an animated film. I, yeah, I it's, mean, a, it's a tough movie. I'm really. just looking at the box here. Uh, Craig has, has, has the film itself, and it's PG-rated. Um, but... Even just the first few scenes were tough to watch. Yeah, it really doesn't shield you from the grim parts, like, does it? I um, mean, a few minutes in. Well, basically, at the start, you've got the, one of the dogs, um, the big uh, sort of Labrador Ralph. He's, they basically put him in a swimming pool and make him swim till he drowns. Yeah. Um, and then, at which point they, and then they take they pump him, out. him out of water and then bring him back to life again and for the next sort of go of it. And it's pretty nasty, yeah. really. A few minutes later, there's a scene where they're picking up a dead Scotty on a shovel. And just yeah. kind of, you know, disposing of his corpse. Yeah. Well, this sort of uh, caretaker guy saying, poor bugger. Yeah, like, yeah. Picking him up on a shovel and going, but, uh, yes, I suppose, get rid of him. Yeah, it's, I mean, I suppose the film can be seen as a sort of anti-experimentation or vivisection or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely got elements to that. Definitely. I mean, Martin Rosen said he, he just wanted to make a sort of adventure, but it's pretty grim for an adventure movie, really. It's kind of, I mean, the, the settings in the Lake District and it's... It's set from sort of September to November. That's right. Yeah. And so it's a, the title it's called, card tells you how long yeah, they've been. How the, they've been on, been on the, the run, um, and obviously dogs surviving on the on the sort of mountains and stuff while they're, they're mm-hmm. killing sheep and all sorts, doing mm-hmm. everything they can to survive. They That's do right. fall in with a third character, the Todd, mm-hmm. um, who's a little little cute little fox. It's not a cute little fox, but a wily fox. Uh, wily fox, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, John Hurt plays Snitter. Mm-hmm. Um, who who plays Ralph? Christopher Benjamin. Right. So that's that's the that's the Labrador. Yeah. And uh, the Todd's played by a local lad from the northeast, James Bolam. That's right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's probably more well known these days for was it New Tricks? That's right. Aye. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so and he does play a Geordie basically. He does. Even yeah. Though he's a Macken, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He has a lot of like um, a lot of sort of local phrases and things, doesn't he? 
Well, everything about the film is definitely. I mean, I don't know how it went down in in, in the states with all the local accents and things. Mm-hmm. Um, we can deal with American accents, but uh, they don't seem to like ours. Yeah. Uh, regional accents. Speaking of cast, uh, Patrick Stewart pops up in a small cameo as the major. I recognised his voice right away, and then Did I you? checked the credits, and uh-huh. sure enough, that it's him. Yeah. I mean, I think he's got a very distinctive voice, though. I think it? like a lot of the credits, there's a lot of sort of well-known actors. Yes, in it. indeed. Yeah. Classically trained actors. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> But um, it's yeah, I mean, so it's animation, yes. but it ain't Disney. Do th- exactly. It's if more, you've seen, is... if you've seen Watership Down, you yeah. know what to expect from the art and animation. It's very, very similar because it was mm-hmm. made by the same uh, studio, uh, you know, written by the same people from the same source material and the same director. Mm-hmm. It's just a slightly different um, sort of uh, tone. Really love the way that the film's done. I mean, the dog's observations about the human world uh-huh. are really well handled. Like the way that they have these perceptions of things that aren't necessarily right, but you can see how they've arrived at them. So, like every human wants to be their master and thing like that. Yeah, yeah. that's what they're looking for at the end. They're the day, looking they? for a master, and the thing yeah. is, there's a distinction between two types of humans. They refer to the the people who've kept them in the laboratory and experimented on them as the white coats. Of course, yeah. And they refer to normal humans who would keep dogs as masters, or yeah. rather. Snitter does. Because Snitter seems to be the only one who's had a master. Uh-huh. I mean, his his master seemingly died. Yeah. And he's and he kind of like um became like a stray and then was picked up by the the lab people. Uh-huh. Um, but the thing is, is that it seems that uh, Ralph has never actually known a master, or he's been subjected to cruelty by humans. Whichever, we're mm-hmm. not really sure what his background is, but you know, he doesn't understand the concept of a master. So Snitter's all quite often tells him. If we behave and we do this and that, this person might take us in as the master. Yeah. Because the other the other scene there's a scene where they go um, and they they see like a farmer and some sheepdogs and they see, observe the behaviour of the sheepdogs and then they say right if we do that we round in the sheep the farmer might take us in and he uh-huh. might like you know put a roof over our head and look after us, but due to like uh, Ralph's gung ho attitude it doesn't quite go according no. to plan. No. <laughs> but yeah, so and not much goes according to plan in this film for these characters. Not really. It's a, it's a bit of a tough one. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Ralph's obviously been subjected to the sort of drowning experiments. Mm-hmm. Snitter has got a little, sort of, at the start, he's got a little skull cap on because they've been in, right. into his brain. So he sort of doesn't know what, he's sort of delusional almost. Yeah, he has um, he has uh, problems um, with perception, isn't With it? perception, and he, his memories and reality start to get intermingled. Like, he has a dream, and the dream kind of becomes like a waking dream. Uh-huh. He has memories of his master um, that kind of start... Like, there's a scene where he's locked in a shed, and he's sort of, his dream is starting to kind of merge with his waking. He's basically starting to, like, remember when he was lying by the fire with his master, like, looking after him, and it's... And the, he also has less pleasant ones. Uh-huh. And when bad things happen... He starts to blame himself because he kind of feels like he feels responsible for his master's death. Mm-hmm. Well, given too much away about what happened, he feels responsible for his master dying, and he seems to think that he's kind of cursed, almost like he's bringing bad things on him and yeah. on him and Ralph. Yeah. And when things really go like south, he beats himself up about everything. So he so does, it's all yeah. my fault. But um, I mean, yeah, just getting back to the, the title of the film, because at first you think plague dogs. Well, you see what the, how they've been experimented on, mm-hmm. and they escape, and there's no mention of plague for a until good a portion, good of, the portion of the film. And then it turns out that the the sort of lab they've escaped from have been mm-hmm. doing naughty things. Absolutely. And yeah. then so the way it's done, a lot of it's done over uh, the sort of the narration. It always sort of tends to stick with the dogs. Mm-hmm. But you get a narration over the top of sort of news bulletins. 
That's and right. Phone calls between various yeah. high ups. There's a series of conversations between one of the farmers who's basically telling them that they've got these dogs on the loose, mm-hmm. and he's and this laboratory worker is sort of answering his questions, but he won't admit to anything dodgy. No, yeah. So and it's all a bit of a cover up because obviously nobody wants to admit that they've exactly. lost a couple of dogs, and then when you find out there's a possibility that they're infected, that they, that they could be uh, infected with bubonic plague. Um, yeah, it, it's sort of the shit hits a fan basically. It certainly does. And there's a, the when when he's talking to that laboratory work, when the laboratory worker and the farmer are talking on the phone, um, you always get this shot of like a monkey. Yes. And the monkey's kind of like looks increasingly disturbed as the film goes on, or yeah. maybe that was just my perception. But at the beginning, the monkey's sitting. And it looks quite placid, and then at the end, it's kind of got its hand over its face. Uh-huh. I don't know yeah. if that was purposeful, but it seems that he's becoming increasingly fractured as the film goes on. Another thing, I don't know if you noticed that, and it's funny because this film came out roughly the same time, is when people are on screen, for most of the time when there's humans on screen, you see the way it's done, it's as if you see it from a dog's level. Yeah. You just see the bottom I of the think legs. That is purposeful. It obviously is. Yeah. Obviously, E.T. was shot in a similar way. It was mm-hmm. shot at a child's level. Yeah. So everything, you know, I think in, in the bit when you see one of the teachers in E.T., you don't see the head and shoulders. You That's just see up the chest mm-hmm. is what, what kid would look at straight ahead. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the film is sort of, literally sort of people's ankles. Yeah. There's people having conversations on screen, but all you'll see is yeah. on knees down sort of thing. Um, it only seems to show the faces at key scenes when the face or expression might be important, like when... There's a sympathetic character is actually showing the dog some warmth for once. Yeah. And he's kind of mm-hmm. like, hey boy, hey boy, tapping his legs and stuff. And he's like encouraging him to come towards, which actually that scene ends in something quite tragic and horrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, as the film goes on, the dogs are getting hungrier and they're looking more emaciated. The ribs are starting to poke through and it's mm-hmm. just, oh, I don't know. I couldn't, and it, uh... I couldn't let Claire watch it. <laughs> uh, no way. But yeah, it's. Going going back to what we, you know, in, along that uh, lines, it it is brutal in places for an animated film. I mean, we've already discussed the tone, but there's quite a lot of like gore and grue on screen, really. I mean, there's well the after effects. Yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, not so much like gore and grue. Well, there is one scene. That's Accidents just... will happen. Now you know but more more about this than me. There's two different cuts of the film, isn't there? That's right. Yes. Um. There was a there's a theatrical cut which if you have the optimum dvd which is the region 2 uk one uh-huh. it has both cuts on the, of the film but the the popularized video version which has been trimmed by quite a lot right now a lot of the scenes that have been trimmed are mainly just like uh dialogue bits a bit more insight into the characters and a few things that i wouldn't say really my year of overall experience but the ending is quite different. We'll get to the end in a little while. Mm. But they, they used a different song on the ending, which gives the ending quite a different tone. Right. Uh, but rewinding a little bit, there's, uh, it definitely gets away with more than would be acceptable for a lot of animated films at the time, I would say. I mean, there's, there's some very like gruesome shots of like uh, of sort of animal carcasses and various things i mean and the aftermath of accidents as well yeah, yeah. exactly because there's you know this doesn't really give uh, too much weight plot wise but it does it seem where a human character plummets from a cliff mm. and he's um and he's he's sort of dead on the ground and you see him you see his sort of body and then this i think it's like a scene or two later you see that he's um he's basically all this kind of like innards are all all over the place it's a very long shot though yeah but it's it looks like he's been eaten he does. It's signifying that the dogs have had to, had to, had to eat them had because, to eat them yeah. to stay alive. Yeah. 
because um, a helicopter's probably looking for the, the people after they haven't come back and the searchlight goes on him and you see the kind of gore of yeah. his like, remains it's, just, and, it's very brief shot but it's but, pretty grim and yeah. that, that is actually um, that was missing from the video version right that was definitely cut because of the content whereas a lot of the other stuff may have just been cut for pace and I don't mm-hmm. know um, but yeah it's I mean there is a hell of a lot of um, gore and grew in the film it's pretty um, close to the bone for, for something that was aimed at the family but uh I don't know. How, I don't know if I could describe it as a family movie. It's um, <laughs> well, I think it was pretty, yeah, exactly. bleak. Is the word? It's very, it's very bleak. I mean, um, it's it's enjoyable. It's it's, I ver- mean, it's, it's very a good. Fantastic production, but uh, I mean, Watership Down was released um, by Criterion recently, and I actually think that this is worthy of a Criterion edition in its in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. Uh, but I th- in terms of um, which is the better film, I think. Plague Dogs has the edge slightly for me. Right. I do like Watership Down. I do, it's also another one that I have on DVD, and I really like both films. But uh-huh. for me, this kind kind of wins out a little bit. I think it's just the the kind of um, the sort of uh, story and the characters and stuff for me. Yeah, it's a little bit more engaging. Uh-huh. But I don't know. I'll leave that one for other people to decide. But I mean, like we, we won't give away the ending. But the ending, I suppose you could say it's. I don't know. It's it's ambiguous. Yeah. It leaves it in a place where one of two things could possibly happen. Well, and we won't even tell you what that is because I'm sure you'll be able to guess. Exactly. <laughs> but, but the thing is is that, uh, like we were saying, that these two cuts and the fact there's a different use of a different song, you know, it, that kind of lends itself to the fact that if you watch one cut, you could possibly get one opinion. And if you watch another, you may, you yeah. may possibly get another one depending on your point of view. But I mean, the thing is, if I I watch the longer version, I didn't watch the short version. Mm-hmm. If Me I was too, at the, yeah. if I was at the pictures, and as soon as it sort of credits started to come up, mm-hmm. the music started playing, and I walked out, I would miss a little bit at the end of the film. That's true. There is a tiny little. Um... Well, it's not even a coda, really, but it just no. it keeps going. The film does sort of keep going at the end. Yes, yeah, so keep watching the credits a bit. And if you watch it a little bit, it does give uh, and that version, the long version, it does give you a little bit of hope. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. After, quite a, after what is quite a bleak finale. Yeah. We didn't talk about the Todd very much, did we? But he is no. a great character. James Bull, I uh, just full on Jordy. Um, Comes out with some great phrases sort of, in this film. He does look <laughs> after them a bit, and then he seems to sort of be a bit cheeky and run away. And, but he does but make. He, a he does help them. Yeah, he's he's quite heroic. He does do something quite heroic towards the end of the film. We'll, yeah. we'll leave it there because uh-huh. you need to see it for yourself. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's. A, Great film for you to come up with. I, I'd never seen it before. Remember reading about it back in the day. Yeah. I, I was aware of it, I should say. But uh, yeah. But I just knew subject matter. No, I mean, uh, it's it's, um, it's, it's heavy. Code. One for the books, I should say, in terms of like you know what was acceptable back then. Uh, you know, we in our Star Chaser review, we talked a little bit about like you know what was generally. Um, considered okay in animated uh, films yeah. at the time, but bloody hell, this does get. But it's a funny. I've been <laughs> taught, I was talking talking to somebody yesterday, and we we're talking about uh, you know would Star Wars still be a you mm. with the arm coming off and the skeletons torn on guts. Empire Strikes Back, yeah, but uh, and Jaws as well. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't I think that is a twelve now. Uh, but think... is the, is the twelve written on the DVD not because of the. The gore and the one of the deleted scenes, because oh, right. they read all the special features as well. These so things. Oh right, right. But even so, it's so. pretty strong. When yeah, I for uh, an E or a PG, as it definitely. is. Definitely. But uh, yeah, it'd be interesting. But this is uh, a PG, but I wouldn't say it's a 
A Sunday afternoon family movie. Definitely not one for the kids. Uh, one for more mature audiences, I would say, despite yeah. the despite the rating. Twelve. If you like animated films and you want to watch um, something that'll make you think a bit, uh, give it a look. Yeah, definitely. Okay, uh, last up the day is 1982's The Sword and the Sorcerer, mm-hmm. um, directed by Albert Payam, his uh, debut feature film. 1982 was the year that Conan came out, so I'm yeah. sure the uh, producers had an eye on that. Absolutely, but probably had uh, dollar signs to their eyes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, back in the day, I remember seeing adverts for this on the telly. Um, yeah. It was a double A certificate then, 15 now, I suppose. No, I'm coming to this film for the first time, and I was a bit too. I'm a bit younger than Frizz, so I don't remember any kind of advertising for anything like that. It was uh-huh. before my time a little bit. Um, and I had like no expectations, sort of, coming into this, really. Right. But sorry, going back to what you were saying, you were talking No, no, about I was just saying, I just remember being in, in sort of being about uh, eight or nine year old and seeing mm-hmm. adverts on the telly on the kids at school, so I'm going to pictures to say that, I was like, you're not going to get in. <laughs> <laughs> but the trailer was absolutely awesome for it, it looked really yeah. good, you just saw swords flying about and, and all sorts of stuff, we'll get a bit more into it in a moment. Sure. But um, basically, just to sort of... Who's who in the film? Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Lee Horsley at the who at, at the time was famous for being TV's Matt Helm, which was a sort of episodic TV show. Simon McCorkendale was also in it. And he was like keeping up the Brit end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, at that time, he was famous for a few films, but probably his most famous for us has been Manimal. And um, he did um, turn up in, in Casualty eventually uh, in the in the sort of <laughs> early noughties. From Manama, yeah. That could be his autobiography. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it would have been, yeah. <laughs> uh, he was famous for being in Falcon Crest and, and things like that. I think, no, not Falcon Crest, it was Dynasty. Something along those lines, those sort of shows in, in America. Um, a lot of people have a very, very entertaining um, filmography who, was, who were in this movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, <laughs> the main body in it, Richard Lynch, who's been a heavy... Um, during his life in many a film mm-hmm. uh, most notably probably his Invasion USA the Chuck Norris mm-hmm. classic <laughs> <laughs> in inverted commas yeah and then obviously sort of it, people sort of it was in stuff like Seven Ups in the 70s and things like that uh, as soon as you see his face like oh, you've seen him in a million yeah. episodes of Starsky and Hutch A-Team <laughs> Airwolf Whatever you he, name it Blue he Thunder he was in it he was, he was a go-to <laughs> person but uh, for genre fans, probably more well known for God Told Me To, yeah. which is a really good Larry Cohen film from the 70s. If you, if you haven't seen it, you should check it out. So, the plot of the film, mm-hmm. um, it's, well, obviously, Sword and the Sorcery, Conan not off, yeah. but it's a sort of kingdom the, gets overtaken. The title, the title is actually the genre. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Um, the uh, What happens is uh, the baddie Richard Lynch sort of overthrows a kingdom and one of the, the, the overthrown king's sons escapes. Talon, he's called, because yeah. they're always called names like that. Exactly. Um, Talon <laughs> escapes, and he grows up to be a mercenary. And then uh, through a few plot contrivances, he ends up sort of mm-hmm. fighting for his throne. Exactly, yeah. Um, but sure, but like going into uh, him taking on the job, the only reason that he agrees to take on the job... Oh, he doesn't want to do it for money. He doesn't want to do it for money, no. <laughs> he wants to uh, have a night in bed with a princess. Exactly. <laughs> so, but she agrees to. <laughs> she actually agrees to, yeah. yeah. A morally ambiguous character for, uh, for a so-called hero. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> so, as you'd imagine with a film like this, with the well, the sword mm-hmm. is a triple sword. Yes, it's got 
sort of three blades. Three blades that fire out sort of rocket like propelled. Like a projectile. Yeah. Like a shuriken or something that sort of kind of saw through the air. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it looks totally... It kind of launches them by pressing something on the hilt. It seems it? to, yeah. It kind of fly off like a dagger. Yeah. And it's, it's just like... It it's keeps, crazy. It, like, you think it's a one-off use type thing but it keeps coming back yeah you can, you can reattach really, really yeah. the, the blade <laughs> you never see him do that you know, but, yeah, but you can have to assume that he does this <laughs> well, if you see it and you think of a, a big old sort of sword with three blades he couldn't pick it up <laughs> exactly. especially not an old fashioned kind of medieval style sword like that but uh, yeah the start of the film it's sort of um, they bring the what the, the sorcerer back to life don't they in a really sort Zusha, of is yeah, it, Zusha it? yeah and um, that's, that sequence is quite um, that's fantastic yeah, it's it's pretty good. I think that the opening is of this film is apart from the dodgy narration. Yeah, is is pretty good. Uh, the the effects and stuff with the sorcerer being resurrected <laughs> by Cromwell is kind of like the yeah. the human villain of the piece, shall we say? Yeah. I mean, speaking of um, the sorcerer, I mean, he's kind of like a sort of serpent thing, isn't he? Really? Oh, he's like he doesn't look human. Well, he's, he's like, like some sort of, of serpent god. Yeah, and he's got that. long talons, and he's um, like all yeah serpenty sort of skin. Yeah, so he gets resurrected at the beginning by Cromwell, who's kind of, like I say, like the, the sort of main villain. Mm-hmm. And this, but he needs the sorcerer's powers yeah, to, to get the edge in this battle. To overthrow King Richard, Pretty yeah. much. Now, this, this opening sequence is really well done. It's very atmospheric. But it's then we get into the stuff with um, Talon um, kind of fleeing the kingdom mm-hmm. when he's a kid after he sees his parents getting killed. Yeah. But for me, as soon as Talon becomes an adult... The film gets very generic and kind of like a bit dull for the first hour. Gets so. a bit TV movie of the week, it doesn't does, it? It does, doesn't it? It's yeah. like there's nothing particularly of note in like the first hour and it's very, very cheesy. Uh-huh. I mean, but not even in a sort of particularly like endearing way. It's just, I don't know, it, for me it was just kind of very, a lot of the first hour is like very derivative after the after the opening scene with yeah. the sorcerer being resurrected. I really like that opening. Uh-huh. And as soon as... As soon as that uh, stuff with Talon being an adult hits, it just it kind of lost us for quite a bit of the film. Yeah, I mean, it's proper sort of prosthetics and stuff at the start, mm. isn't it? And parts getting ripped out and stuff and bleeding walls of faces. It's all pretty <laughs> effective. Yeah. Um, but like you say, then it sort of dies down a bit and there's a few sort of like comic mm. fights and stuff. It's all not about stuff, isn't it, and really? Yeah, absolutely. And it does just kind of scream like TV movie. Yeah. Like, so, so it's but very it's, generic. It's got a funny sort of sense of humour to it as well. It has. It's got a very, very... Like you mentioned that the princess always ends up naming people in the nuts. Yeah. Like at least two, three times. I'm sure it's like three. <laughs> the balls gags. And it's like, it wasn't particularly funny the first time. Yeah. But the third time, it's pretty bad. I mean... <laughs> So I had no expectations for it. But I, and I think that it's one of those things that I really didn't know what to expect with it. I know that it is, if you look on IMDb and a lot of like um, reviews on the internet, a lot of people hold it in quite high regard. It's just, yeah, it's nostalgia. But it's nostalgia. And I know you quite, you know, but in years gone by, you quite liked it. I but did, on re-watching yeah. It. On rewatching, it's creepy. It really <laughs> is creepy. But it does have some hilarious scenes it, in it, it which really like does. the climax, which I won't go into here because, you know, by all means, give it a shot, try and watch it. It'll probably, uh-huh. I don't know if it turns up on telly. I remember seeing it on telly back in the day. And I thought it was better than Conan the Barbarian. Changed <laughs> my mind now. But uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's certain aspects of it are just like, wow, just jaw-dropping when he starts firing swords about. And um, yeah, and it's just cheesy as by the end and that. It's, it's I mean, great. the sorcerer is well done. There's, there there's there some are some good prosthetic effects in it. Yeah, and, I mean, like you mentioned, the sort of 
bleeding wall of faces where the sort of people are screaming and stuff at the beginning. Yeah. That's pretty pretty gonzo and out there. Yeah. Um, and the the final fight is pretty good. Now the film kind of won us back slightly at the end. I, yeah. I really like the opening. I really like the ending. Everything in between. I it mean, was, I wouldn't say I, I really like the end. It wasn't amazing, but it, but it definitely it, got in the interest. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. It's full on. Yeah, you know, it like, everything's shot like through gels. I see the blues or reds and stuff like that. Yeah, like, like for the, like for the atmosphere. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know what you mean. It, so it, the atmosphere like. Um, did kind of return a little bit at the end, and it, and I sort of got back into it, but it sort of felt like a little bit, a little bit, little too late. Yeah, if you know what I mean. Um, it's funny I noticed at the start of the review there. I said when it came out, it was a double A, and I've just got the DVD here when it was released by uh, Anchor Bay in the UK a few years back now, mm-hmm. uh, and it's an eighteen. Yeah, there's a, there's quite a bit of TNA in there. Yeah, isn't there? so and there's, a, there's a bit of like full on violence, like a bit where a sword splinters somebody's skull. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, a few other kind of close-up like hits. Most of them are fairly like flashes almost. Yeah, yeah like it's, it's kind of like um, very jump, jump cut sort of. That's right. It's, I, not, it's almost like you imagine seeing worse than you actually. Yeah, see. it's gory, but it's not sort of Friday the Thirteenth gory. No, where it doesn't dwell. It on It doesn't things. dwell and linger on like blood spray and bones yeah. and that sort of thing. Actually, just just having a, a look here on the uh, on the back of the box, so we've got um, Simon McCortendale was in Jaws three. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the, and it, says, it says something when that's the best credit. Yeah, best well, I'm sure they could have found, the found better than that. I'm sure they could have. They all start, he, has, he has been in some other interesting stuff. It's described. As we on, talked about earlier. Yeah, it's described <laughs> on the box as an action-packed adventure saga filled with brutal battles, luscious maidens, savage monsters, <laughs> and more. Well, <laughs> the only savage monster I can really think of would be the sorcerer himself. I mean, which other monsters are other than that? Yeah, don't exactly. Else. I mean, the witch at the start, which is just a witch, she's not like. Yeah, she's not, not even like got made up. Yeah. Like, oh, no. Chrome, that's a good word for a Saturday. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but yeah, um, there was supposed to be a sequel as well, wasn't there? there? There was There was something made, I just had a look on IMDb before, there was something made where um, I think um, Lee Horsley was meant to be back in it. Along with Christopher Lambert, but it never came off. The film right. was made, but they weren't in it. Because at the end, there's there's a, um, there's a credit that called? says "Watch for Talon's next adventure." Yeah, Tales of the Ancient Empire coming soon. Except it uh-huh. never did. It, or <laughs> I mean, the way Talon's portrayed it. If anybody's ever seen the Black Adder TV series, he's like Lord Flashheart, isn't he? <laughs> Hooray for me! Hurrah! And all this, in all his men, yeah, yeah, sort of. Um, Raising the tankets in the yeah, air. Yeah, it's... Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're, they're all sort of like these dodgy mercenaries we all follow them, but it's all a bit camp. It's all, yeah, it's all with a nod and a wink, isn't it? Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't say it comes with me highest recommendation, but there's definitely worse films out there. They don't I mean, three-bladed swords. Am I right or am I wrong? Is there a bit where he, he swings through an open window and lands between a girl's legs or something like that? There is something like there's that, something, isn't it? Yes, yeah. There, yeah. Mm, that's that is in there. That's the level of humour, but um, <laughs> it was a massive hit at the time. Mm. Um, it took in, it brought in a lot of money. And like I say, it was a proper cinema release back in the yeah. day. It wouldn't get that far these the, days. The I don't director think. kind of comes like he, he made films with Charles Band. Yeah, and um, among his credits is the legendary trash epic Doorman. Yes, if you've never seen, I don't think I have actually. <laughs> But it just, you know, it's speaking to our viewers, if you've never seen it and you like so bad it's good films. Is that there? My what, God, his, that is hilariously bad. What's it? Is it Tim Thomason? Tim Thomason, yeah. yeah. I believe he is the titular doll, the doll man. man. So yeah, Albert Pye and also... 13 went, Inches with an Attitude was the tagline. <laughs> he also made the Nemesis <laughs> films and Cyborg with Jean-Claude Van Damme. So yeah. 
that's that's a level. But I think that this is definitely. I mean, it would have been awesome to see that the pitches. Yeah. Um, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day, back in the day. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I sort of didn't enjoy it as what I did when I was younger. Um, but There's definitely a lot worse genre films out there. I mean, you think but at the time on the back of Conan, basically everything went Italian. Mm-hmm. I think they made like versions of the gore films and yeah. things like that. And but this is post-apocalyptic films. Oh, there were those, but they, yeah, the sword and sorcerer ones. They, they, they made stuff like the barbarians with the mm-hmm. barbarian twins and stuff like that. And they were all sort of uh, poverty rule. But this one's got a bit more <laughs> going, going for it. Um, yeah. I don't know, we should review more of these films, like, because they're usually pretty enjoyable. And yeah. but it was funny, this one was all shot in, in LA, I think. Bron- right. Bronson Canyon and all the sort of familiar places that get used in all the TV series and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it was a, a diverting hour and a half. Yeah. Like I say, I couldn't give the ice recommendation. The, the middle section was a bit dull, but. It does, yeah. But, it, but there, were, there were some fairly, like, sort of eye popping bits in it. That if you like these sort of movies, you know mm-hmm. you could you could uh, pass your time on Sunday afternoon in worse ways. Absolutely. <laughs> right, nice one, Craig. That's uh, that was the sword and the sorcerer. Indeed, and uh, we hope you'll catch us next time for another installment of Video Drone. Yeah, cool. See you then. <laughs>